You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Scotty Satterwhite. Uh, My wife Ashley and I are part of the house community group. Um, I will be reading the scripture this morning. But on the first day of, this is in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. And if you have one of our Bibles, it's page 516. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Thank you, Scotty. Hey, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. Happy Resurrection Day. My name is Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Odessa. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being here. There's a connect card under your chair. We also have some new and improved QR codes on the communion table in the back or the uh, hospitality table out in the foyer. If you want to connect with us, you can scan that or fill out the card and get it back to us. We'd love an opportunity to connect with you, to serve you, to see how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. And if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Bogdan will bring you one. Um, And if you're on your phone, we use the ESV, or you can download our app, and there's a Bible on that. So... Again, happy Resurrection Day. We have gathered today, as we do every Sunday, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This is not an overstatement, but without the resurrection of Jesus, without Jesus rising from the grave, without Jesus rising from the grave three days after his crucifixion, then everything else is meaningless. Without the resurrection of Jesus, then Christmas, the virgin birth, has no purpose. Without the resurrected resurrected King Jesus, then Jesus is not who he says he is. Without Without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope. We have no future. We have no security. We have no peace. We have no lasting joy. Apart from the resurrection... Because we are sinful, because of our sin natures, and because of God's just judgment and righteous penalty against sin, what we would have is eternal condemnation, separation from God and his gifts for all eternity. Were it not for the resurrection of Jesus, there's no hope. 
but Jesus rose. Jesus rose physically. Jesus, who died physically, physically and factually, rose from the grave, defeating sin and death on behalf of those whose faith is in him. And so today we're gathered to celebrate the greatest news of all. Our greatest problem, our greatest enemy of sin and death has been defeated because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has accomplished what we could not by taking the punishment of our sins upon himself. We couldn't do it on our own. We were called to perfection and holiness. And because of our sin, we are broken. And apart from Jesus' work on the cross, completed by the resurrection, and apart from the work of the Holy Spirit to call us into faith, we are doomed. But Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled back to him by faith in him through the forgiveness of sins. By faith in the resurrected Jesus, by faith, by belief that Jesus has paid for your sins, by trusting in God for your salvation, you can be forgiven of your sins. You can receive new life in Christ. You can be a new creation. You can be set free to live for God. You can have an eternity that is full of hope and is secure in Christ. We believe in the resurrection because we believe in the scriptures. The scriptures are God's word to us, so we believe in the resurrection by faith, and that faith is rooted in and anchored in the sacred word of God. Our faith is a biblical faith. So the Bible tells us that we needed to be redeemed. We need to be rescued because sin has separated us from God. We need faith in Jesus. And we need his forgiveness and mercy and grace to us. So the question that I want to present to you this morning then is this. Have you received this grace? Have you received this forgiveness? Have you received the unmerited favor of God to the least deserving sinners? If not, I pray that God, through the Holy Spirit, would reveal himself to you this morning. We're going to look at most of Luke 24 together, and we're going to break it up into like three scenes, if you will, to show that the resurrection did in fact occur and how it is in fact good news for all of us who believe. So let's pray and we're going to jump in. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross, Lord, but thank you for the resurrection, Lord. Thank you that you did not stay dead, but you did, in fact, rise actually, factually, physically, and you, Lord, are alive. Lord, that we have gathered this morning to worship not a defeated leader, but a resurrected king ruling and reigning and living on high for us, Lord. And so I just pray this morning that you would meet us here. Lord, that you would call sons and daughters to faith, that you would call sons and daughters to repentance, Lord, that you would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed and conviction where conviction is needed. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you would pray for yourself. That the Lord would just lead you to delight in him this morning and delight in his gifts to you. That the Lord would call you out of unbelief. 
where you have unbelief. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, Luke 24, beginning in verse 1, it says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So it's Sunday. Our story takes place on a Sunday. There's these women who have just witnessed the horrific execution of their beloved friend, Jesus, the Friday before. And so they go to the tomb after the Sabbath to prepare Jesus' body for a proper burial. Jesus' body had been removed from the cross and laid in the tomb, but the preserving agents that they would use for his body had not yet been applied because it was so close to the Sabbath when they buried Jesus. So these ladies are then coming back to the tomb. Can you imagine just the amount of grief and sadness that they're experiencing as they're walking to the tomb? These women have spent pretty much every day with Jesus for the last three years. They were supporting Jesus. They were listening to Jesus. They were being cared for by Jesus. And now their leader is dead. And he didn't just die. He was brutally and violently executed. They are going to the tomb to honor Jesus. And when they get there, they see that the large stone that has been placed in front of the tomb had been rolled away. Their sadness then gives away to fear, like what has happened here? They go in and Jesus' body is not there. So let's pick it up in verse 4. It says, while they were uh, perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. So they get to the tomb. They go in. Jesus is not there. Did somebody steal Jesus' body? While they were wondering about what had happened, behold, two angels stood before them. And then these two angels reminded them of the words of Jesus. Jesus said that he would rise. Jesus is not here. He is risen, just like he said he would. Remember, ladies, he told you these things. These women had forgotten the words of Jesus. They weren't expecting to find an empty tomb. And the reason they weren't expecting to find an empty tomb is because they had forgotten that Jesus had told them that he would rise from the grave three days after he was crucified. It wasn't until they remembered the words of Jesus that their lives were changed. The whole gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus bore on himself the punishment for our sins, hinges on the truth that Jesus died and rose. For the believer in Jesus, there is nothing more important than remembering that Christ died and that he also rose. And when he rose, he completed the purchase of our salvation in and through himself for those who believe in him. And when we forget this, 
when we forget the good news of Jesus to us, which we are all prone to do, it is necessary then that we are reminded of the gospel. When we are firm in the gospel, when we are confident in who Jesus is and what he said he would do and what he has done for us, we are less prone to wander away from God. We're less fearful. We're less anxious. We are sure of his promises to us because we have a God who has kept his promises to us. Sorrow and grief and pain are but for a moment because we have a God who has rescued us from our greatest enemy of sin and death. So in Christ now, we can rejoice in all circumstances. These women remembered the words of Jesus And in Luke's gospel, they became the first missionaries of the message of the resurrection. Let's pick it up in verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who were with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping to look in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So these ladies remembered that Jesus said he would in fact rise. So they ran and told the other disciples, the eleven, and the others that were following Jesus along with them during his ministry. We're given the names of these women, which is significant. So here's a little bit of an aside for you. Uh, The Bible, by some people's standards, is considered to be a chauvinistic collection of writings. But the fact that these women were the first to witness the resurrection of Jesus, and the message would then continue two millennia after this event, this is significant. In this day, women weren't even allowed to like testify in court as witnesses during this time. And Jesus, in his kindness, would see fit to allow these women to be the ones who were the first to behold the empty tomb. This is significant because this means that the message of Christ is not for men only, it's for all. What we learned in our walk through the book of Galatians is that the good news of Jesus, the gospel, is for people from every tribe, nation, and tongue on the face of the earth. God has torn down any dividing wall between us, walls like race or class or gender. God has torn them all down and has united us together in a family through the forgiveness of sins in him. Therefore, we can then obey the scriptures. The scriptures have clearly defined our roles as men and women in the home and in the church. And we exhibit our obedience to the scriptures by honoring women as people made in the image of God. Women not as subservient to men, but equal in worth, value, and dignity before God. So we have these women who witness the resurrection, and they go and report to the disciples what they had seen, and the disciples did not believe them. These 11 apostles reacted the same way a lot in our world today still act about the resurrection. They deny the resurrection and miss the greatest news in all the world. Jesus has risen. 
Then we see Peter. He takes off for the tomb. He has to see for himself. If you recall, this is the same Peter who a couple days before had denied being even associated with Jesus. So perhaps in his feelings of guilt and shame, he takes off towards the tomb in some hope. There seems to be like this desperation in his action. He gets there and he finds that Jesus' body is in fact gone, but he's still not really confident in what happened. We do know that Jesus' body has not been robbed because the grave clothes that they had wrapped Jesus in are folded neatly in the place where, where Jesus had been laid. So think about this with me for a second. If you were committing a B and E, or for the less criminally inclined in here, breaking and entering, when the people weren't home, you're trying to break in and get out as fast as possible. I'm from Hobbes, so I know, okay? (laughs) You don't break into the house, fill up your hands and pockets with what you came for, and then on your way out, see the laundry basket in the living room and think, man, it would be super helpful to these people I'm robbing if I folded their laundry. That's not how it goes. These grave clothes are folded neatly. Jesus was not stolen, And so that's the end of scene one. It kind of, uh, one commentator says that Luke 24 reads like a developing news story. It's like we have breaking news. Jesus' body isn't where they placed it, but details are sparse. Some women said they saw a couple guys in some shiny robes that said that Jesus walked out of the tomb, but we can't confirm this at the time. Back to you in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. So that's scene one. Here's scene two. Uh, Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he, that's Jesus, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. So here we have these two other disciples. They're not the 11 apostles. They're not from that crowd of disciples. They're just two other followers of Jesus. They're walking the seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about a two-hour walk, or if you walk like my kids, several days. Um, It's about a two-hour walk if you're walking a normal pace. And they're walking and talking about all that has transpired over the past couple of days. And they're talking... And they're sad. And while they're walking along, Jesus joins them. These two men look sad because their friend Jesus and their leader has just been brutally executed for crimes he did not commit. And Jesus looks at them and he says, what are you guys talking about? I really love this interaction. Verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Cleopas responds like, dude, are you serious? What planet have you been living on? Jesus asked this question. It's like the 2023 equivalent of like, what's a pandemic? Like, what's COVID? 
What are you talking about? I've never heard of this. Jesus sort of plays like he doesn't know that anything is going on. He's like, what things are you talking about? So after Cleopas gets over his shock, he answers Jesus. And they said to him, this is verse 19, And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was still alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. They explained to Jesus about Jesus. He was from Nazareth. He did a lot of miracles. We thought he was going to be our political redeemer. But our own people turned on him, and they had him executed. But then there are some of our friends that say he rose from the dead. But we hadn't seen him. And Jesus responds with a rebuke. Jesus rebukes these men in love. Not in a heavy-handed, lack-of-care-for-them sort of way, but in a corrective and a redemptive sort of way in order to lead them to faith. That's the heart of Jesus. Not that we're never inconvenienced by him, but that we would believe in him and believe in him rightly. So Jesus rebukes these men. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Foolish does not mean that Jesus is calling them dumb or stupid, but that they have hard hearts. There's a pastor, I tried to learn how to pronounce his name, Thabiti and annual wobble. Thanks, bro. <laughs> Say it again. I know Thabiti. Yeah. Per- Listen to Dev. I uh, I had somebody try to tell me, and I forgot. It was it's hard. Anyways, he's one of a pastor in our network. I read his books. Can't pronounce his name. If I meet him, I'll just call him Pastor. Anyways, um, he says that the disciples don't have an intellectual problem but they have a spiritual problem. These disciples don't have an intellectual problem. They have a spiritual problem. They know some things about Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. They don't believe the resurrection has occurred, and without that, they don't believe in Jesus. Functionally, a lot of us are the same way. You can regurgitate some facts about Jesus. Perhaps you grew up in church, walked down an aisle, prayed a prayer with your pastor, and were baptized. But your life doesn't look anything like what Christ is calling you to. 
Some of you function like the cross and resurrection means you can live however you want to live without giving a single thought to the fact that the resurrection is for your growth in Christ, to save your soul and to lead you to look more like Jesus in word and thought and emotive and not purely a means for you not to go to hell. Apart from your faith in Christ to forgive you from your sins, you have no hope. How do you know if you're a believer in Christ? You desire to live like Christ. You desire what God wants for your life more than what you want for your own life. How do you know you're a believer in Christ? You know that your sins are forgiven. Past sins, present sins, future sins, they have all been dealt with by the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died to give you life eternal. By the shedding of his blood, he paid for the penalty of your sin. You see, sin is more than just making bad choices and doing what you're not supposed to do. But it's rebellion against God. It's treason against God. Our sin makes us enemies of God. And in love. And in the unmerited favor of grace and mercy of Jesus to us, Jesus came to earth and dies the death that we should have died. And now we don't have to die this death. You can receive this forgiveness. The invitation of Jesus is to follow him, to look like him, to stop living for things that don't satisfy you, to stop running to sex or to money or to alcohol or to toxic relationships, but to rest in Jesus by faith and dependency, by giving your cares to Jesus, by giving your worries to Jesus, to give him your time, your talent, your resources, by serving alongside your local church. Give your life over to Jesus who loves you and was willing to die for you. Look, some of you are only here because it's Easter. And I'm thankful you have chosen to spend your Sunday with us. But I want to tell you, because I care for your soul, that Christ is worth more than that. Christ died so you can have life. Not to just check some religious boxes and feel like you're good with God. If your Christianity is reduced to this, and your life is not marked by the holiness of Jesus, meaning consistently and habitually you do not live like the Bible is calling you to live, you feel no conviction for sin in your life, you may think you're okay, and you may not be. And I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that to shame you. But I do want to call you to consider the resurrected King Jesus and ask if you really believe that he rose. And I don't mean some verbal assent to some stuff you've heard your whole life. 
But do you spiritually submit to Jesus's lordship, to the Lord of the universe who is offering you a better way? Jesus is offering you life in him. Do you believe this Jesus fully? So the scene continues. Jesus continues on with them. They invite him home for a meal with them. And while they're eating, their eyes are opened. They recognize Jesus, and then in an instant, he was gone. Verse 32, they said, that's the two disciples, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So that's the end of scene two. The women have seen him. These two Emmaus disciples have seen him. Peter has also seen him. That's Simon. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15.5. So let's get to scene three briefly. Cleopas and his unnamed friend find the eleven. They're locked inside the upper room for fear of those that murdered Jesus. They're thinking, perhaps they'll come for us next. And let's look what happens. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. A couple of things I want to note here. Jesus himself, also in verse 15, Jesus himself stood among them. Meaning this is no ghost. This is no spirit. This is nothing other than the physical, real, present, resurrected Jesus in bodily form. When we talk about the resurrection, this is what we mean. We don't believe in a spiritual resurrection from the dead only, but a physical raising up of Jesus by the power of God. Jesus is not spiritually present in this room. He is not a figment of their imagination. He is physically there. He's alive. Jesus is not dead, but alive. And because Jesus is alive, that means we can have life in him too by faith because sin and death aren't the final word for us. If you're a Christian, our God is not dead. He's alive. And Jesus comes to this room and he says, peace to you. This peace takes on two forms. We have peace from God, or the peace of God, and the peace with God, or the peace from God. The peace of God means security. It means rest. It means delight as you experience the benefit of your adoption as a son or a daughter of Jesus. Peace from God or peace with God, on the other hand, means that you're no longer God's enemy, but God's friend and his child. So Jesus has restored these men in a moment. These men who a few short days ago betrayed him, left him alone to be arrested. He died alone, abandoned by his friends, and yet... In sweet and in kind and tender mercy, he shows up and he restores and he forgives. With piercing accuracy, he knows they're afraid and thinking they're seeing a ghost. So they touch him because ghosts don't have bodies. Verse 39, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. 
He asks for food, and they give him some fish and bread, and he eats with them. And then again, he explains from the law and the Psalms and the prophets all the things concerning himself. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. These men would go on out from here and take the gospel to the nations. And we are beneficiaries of their faithfulness. So I want to close with a few things and then again call you to consider if the resurrection matters to you. Luke 24, there's a couple things that are critically important for us, church, uh, as we consider the resurrection. We see Jesus explain the scriptures. It says Moses, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. Jesus explains Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, what we today would call the Old Testament, things concerning himself. This means that Jesus believes that the whole of scripture is about him. So a couple things, we cannot approach Scripture and think it is all about me. Pastor Thabiti says we don't properly read our Bibles until we understand that it all connects to Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and return. The Bible tells one story, and this story is about Jesus. And therefore, our faith cannot be rooted in a personal experience before it is anchored in the Holy Scriptures. Our faith must be a biblical faith. The Bible has withstood the test of time, and all of the prophecies concerning Jesus have come true. The crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ultimate return and consummation of Jesus have been predicted long ago. And so we wait eagerly for God to continue to be a promise-keeping God. The Bible is God's tender way of telling us, See, I told you I was good. The resurrection provides us comfort. As believers, we can be assured that our sins are forgiven. We can be assured that we have a Savior who lives. And we can be assured that this Savior has ascended and is interceding for us. We know these things are true. We know that God's wrath has been satisfied by Jesus' death, which is the all-sufficient payment for our sins. For if God had not been satisfied by Jesus' death, then there would be no resurrection. And because of the resurrection, we can be assured that for all whose faith is in Christ, there is a pardon. There is forgiveness. There is forgiveness now and an eternity secured for us. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever with Jesus as our inheritance. We will experience an eternity in the presence of God who loves us in spite of us. On that day, there will be no more fear, no more guilt, no more, no more hurt, no more, that's hard to say, no more shame, no more condemnation, just peace. 
peace in the presence of God. On the other hand, for the unbeliever, the resurrection has some serious ramifications. There is a penalty against sin, and it must be paid for. Jesus paid for the sins of the believers, and unbelievers will spend an eternity separated from him in hell as the just payment for their sins. Jesus paid for the sins of those whose faith is in him. God cannot and will not tolerate sin. We needed to be rescued, not from our bad choices, but from our treasonous rebellion against God, the creator and ruler and sustainer of the universe. We needed to be rescued, not from our bad choices, but from ourselves. Jesus came as God in flesh. Jesus came to die. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, and therefore he is the only one that can deal with our sin problem. And dealt with it, yes. Jesus went to the cross, and Jesus rose. He rose. It is finished. He has done it. Christ's resurrection means that there is forgiveness available to you. If you have received this great mercy, then worship Jesus. Worship Jesus for the undeserved gift of pardon you have received. And if you haven't received this forgiveness, you can. There is nothing you have to do. There is nothing you have done that is beyond the saving reach of Jesus' forgiveness. Repent. Turn from your sins. Receive this mercy. Let's pray.